Good morning, Rama South Coast Family Church. My name is Kristen Evans, and I'm so privileged this morning to bring the Word of God to you. My husband, Greg, and I have been members of this church for quite a number of years now since we moved to the South Coast, and we are originally from America, if you can't place my accent, but you probably recognize it, um, but we are living in Port Edward now. And we live there with our three boys, Isaiah, Ezra, and Asa. And we live on a small holding in Port Edward. And we have chickens and macadamia nut trees, and we've dabbled in some vegetables. But when we first started planting those macadamia nut trees, we got little small seedlings. And we started planting those around our field. And because they were so small and so tiny, we felt obliged to kind of make a windbreak for them. And so we started putting these little windbreaks around them. You'll, you'll often see, if you see macadamia nut trees planted, you'll see kind of box, almost like boxes around them. And those are actually to break the wind. But then we had somebody come and tell us, it's not a great idea because that wind is going to help the tree actually mature and be ready for the trials of life, for, for growing up strong. It helps it to grow its roots down and, and strong. The, the wind actually works to help the tree. So we took those down and we let the trees grow on their own and they are growing great now. But today I want to talk to you about that wind. The wind in our life is kind of like the trials of life. And, the, and God uses that wind to help us to, to grow and to mature. So the title of my message t- today is Facing jo- Trials with Joy. And our text is James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. So let's look at that together right now. So James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing." If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Now, this was written by James, who most scholars believe was the brother of Jesus. And it was written around 48 to 62 AD. And the themes of this verse are faith, mercy that triumphs over judgment, prayer that avails much, patience, and wisdom. And so James was writing this to the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's writing to Christians, the Jewish Christians who have been scattered abroad. 
So this is a book of encouragement to us as Christians. It is a book that will encourage us as we walk through life. And the beginning talks straight away about trials. He says in this verse, count it all joy when you fall into trials of various kinds. So he says right away that we are to count it all joy whenever we face a trial. He doesn't say if, he says when. Now, so the first thing that we can understand from this book is that trials are just a part of life. Never should we think that now that we're a Christian, all our trials are over. Maybe we might have this false idea that if I pray enough or if I go to church enough, then God won't let anything bad happen to me. And that's really not correct theology there. We live in a fallen world. We live in a place where trials are part of life on earth. Just like the wind had to hit those macadamia nut trees, trials have to hit us. But what we can understand is that we can not be surprised when a trial comes our way, and we can control our reaction to that trial. In John chapter 13, just before Jesus was betrayed, he spoke to his disciples about a great many things. And they could not understand what he was talking about because they couldn't understand, they couldn't know what was coming. He tried to tell them, but because they didn't have that perspective, they couldn't understand that. So we are in a similar situation We don't have the perspective that God has for our life. We don't don't know the end. We don't know what's to come. We don't know how our actions today are going to affect our children or our grandchildren. We don't know the legacy that we're going to leave. But God does. And just like Jesus was trying to prepare his, his disciples, God is telling us, Do not be afraid. Don't be worried. Don't let yourself be troubled. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Don't be troubled by what happens here on earth. He says in John 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, there are different types of trials, but the trials that God allows in our life, they are here and he uses them to refine us and to clarify our our faith, to press us and show us where we've been off in our perspective and help us gain new perspective on things. So let's talk about a few different types of trials. Um... There are first trials that are done to you, such as this is a mistreatment, like you are robbed or you get hurt by someone, um, someone cheats you out of money or all sorts of different things that come from the outside to you, trials that are done to you. And we can think of one in the Old Testament, David talks about about trials that he went through. 
Now think about David. He was a shepherd boy doing his job, minding his sheep, and he is called in to his family home, and he's suddenly anointed king. This wasn't something that he had sought for. It wasn't something that he had applied for. This was just something really out of the blue. Even Samuel, the prophet who was anointing him, didn't know it would be David. So David is anointed king. And then David ends up in the palace with the current king, Saul. And Saul loses his marbles. Saul is filled with jealousy. Maybe he can see what's coming and he knows what's happening. And he, he wants to kill David. He thinks maybe he can hold on to this kingship, maybe, if he gets rid of David. So David has to run for his life. Now this is a trial that's done to David. He did not bring this on himself. So David runs for his life. He's hiding in caves. He's recruiting other scoundrels, lost guys that, to help him. But during this time, God is refining his character. God is establishing David's heart in God. God is even testing David to see how he will respond. Now, God has a good idea because God knows our heart. But he still sends these tests so that we can realize, we can understand what's happening. And we can draw closer to God. So David passes these tests. In 1 Samuel 24, David has an opportunity to kill Saul. David is hiding in a cave. Saul comes in and, and David's men, they're like, here, this is your chance. God has delivered your enemy into your hands. And David goes and cuts a bit of his garment, just a bit of Saul's garment off. And then even that brings him conviction. And he's convicted and he feels terrible that he's even tempted to hurt God's anointed king. This was a test for David. Was he going to kill the king and take the kingship that was already his? Or was he going to wait for God to move him into that spot? So this was a test. And you know, God uses trials as tests in our life sometimes so that we can see and he can also see our heart and we can understand. You know, Greg and I homeschool our three boys. And so every day we get up and we do math and and language arts, and writing, and science, and all those things. So we're there with them every day. They'll do their math problems. They bring them to Greg. He checks them. But then at the end of a chapter, we give a test. And the point of the test is not for us to know exactly how they're doing, because we pretty much know how they're doing. Because every day we see the mistakes they made, we correct them, we encourage them. But that test is there so they can prove to themselves and know themselves that they can do it on their, that they can handle this and to understand what they're doing. And in the same way, God can use tests in our life so that we can understand what God is doing. We can understand him deeper. So trials that can be are done to you. There can be trials that are temptations. These come from the inside. 
And they are individual vices or weaknesses that we all have, trials or tests that come as temptations. And the more we practice saying no to these temptations, the better we will be at overcoming them. And these are very individual. You know, what may be a temptation to me may not be a temptation to you, and vice versa. But as we work through overcoming these temptations in our life, it has a refining work in our character. And the way that we do that is when we have a temptation, when we have a small thing that I need to overcome this bad habit, if we can trust God and, and speak to that habit, speak God's word over our life, we can start to overcome. And then when the bigger temptations come, we will be well prepared. You know, we take a cue from Jesus when he was tempted. He spoke God's word back to the devil. And that's the same way we must do when we are tempted. Speak God's word back to the devil so that we can overcome that temptation. So that's another trial. Temptation, um, trials that are done to you. Another type of trial is a health trial. You know, this may or may not have been your fault if you fall into bad health. You know, lifestyle choices and diet can all affect our health, but sometimes it's none of that. And it's just a random health trial. Another type of trial is a financial trial. It could be a result of mismanagement, or it could be just something that happens in, in the world. You know, you invest in a company, and then it, it doesn't make what it said it was going to make. Who knows? All of these are trials that come and, and affect us. But the last... The last category of trial that I have on my list is one that are trials that result from poor decisions. And these are ones that we know we've gotten ourselves into this mess. Maybe we made a poor decision, or maybe we just did what we wanted to do, knowing that it was not the way to go. So when we find ourselves in that position, we sometimes try to pull ourselves up, you know, What's this phrase? I can't think of it. Pull your up on your own bootstraps, but pull ourselves up out of that trial because I got myself into the mess. I've got to get myself out. Well, actually, God doesn't look on it like that. You know, God, if he had this attitude that you made the mess, you figure it out yourself, then he never would have sent Jesus to die on the, sin, die on the cross for our sins. That's not the attitude that he has towards us. But God is looking for us when we find ourselves in a mess that we know we did ourselves, we caused ourselves. He's looking for us to repent, to turn to him, and to ask him for help. In James, in the the text um, section that we're studying today, in James chapter 1 verse 5, It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. I love that it says, without reproach. And my my, um, Bible defines this as, this means like without sarcasm or mocking or, or insulting. God is not going to 
remind us of how unworthy we are for his help. He gives wisdom liberally. When we repent and turn to him, when we, when we, when we have, find ourselves in a trial that is our own doing, if we will turn to God, he will give us that wisdom to get out. And the best thing about God is that he uses every one of these trials for our good. Nothing is wasted in our life. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So if we love God, if we are called, if we know him, then all those trials, our past trials, our future trials, everything that we're going through, God is going to work it out for good to make us into the people, into the person that he has designed us to be. And, and then this great verse, just a few verses down from the one I just read, Romans eight thirty one through 32, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So this, this answers the question for us that God will freely give us all things that we need to get, get through a trial. And if God is for us, who can be against us? So when we find ourselves in a trial, whether it's one of these before or, or even one we've made, know that God will give us all things that we need to get through that trial, to go through that trial, and to be successful. And you know, when we have this attitude about trials, that trials are a part of life, then we know, when we have this, when we have this attitude that trials are a part of life, then we know that answers the question of why me, God? And it answers the question that can often derail many of us in why is this happening? Why me? And the, the answer is it's part of life. It's part of living. But God has, not, God has not given up on you. God has not left you alone. And God can carry you through and bring glory through this situation. So the first thing, as we face trials, we need to just come to the settling in our heart that, okay, I will have trials in life, but how do I approach the trials? So number two is that we choose joy in the face of trials. We choose joy, and that can be so hard because trials are no fun. But if we can just settle in our mind, and if and just like now, like as we plan and think through trials, if we, can, if we can identify the way that we've reacted to previous trials not so great, we can adjust so as we come to the future, we can do a little better. So the first, the first thing is don't panic. Don't panic. Now, I will have to admit to you, I am sort of a panicker. 
<laughs> when, especially if there is blood involved in a trial, you know, like somebody is injured, I'm a panicker. And I tend to just start to run. I just run. So one time we were in, living in Swaziland and Greg put his hand through a plate glass window, nearly cut off his tip of his finger, and there was blood spewing everywhere. And somehow he got like a puncture wound here that was shooting blood. And I just started running around the house. And he jokes about it now because I actually went and started getting cleaner and was trying to clean the blood off off of the carpet. I just couldn't think what to do. You know, we're in Swaziland. There's not really an emergency room to go to. So he's like, Kristen. So we called our friend who was a nurse, and he met us at a clinic, and they tried to sew him up, and they tried to patch him up, and he was fine. But I realized, okay, and he realized, ah, Kristen's not so good with blood. So the first thing you need to do is don't panic. Try not to panic. Think, try to control yourself, whatever is happening. Now, not all trials are like that extreme, but any trial, sometimes we panic in our mind and we just start thinking all the different scenarios that are going to happen. And don't do that. Control your mind, control your thoughts, bring it back. So the next one is don't overreact. Don't overreact. It's kind of like don't panic, but. When we were expecting our third son, Asa, I was 39 years old, almost 40. And that's what they call a geriatric mother. That's actually the medical term. And at this point, your age becomes a concern for multiple things that could go wrong with the pregnancy or the child. So my doctor did a number of different scans and tests, and he used formulas that factored in my age. And these formulas spit out a percentage that would tell the likelihood of your child having certain problems. So one of the percentages caused him to recommend that I see a specialist and have a special scan done to check that the baby's growth was normal. While... We were not concerned because we would love a child with any special needs or anything. We felt, okay, we should have this scan because if there is a problem that could be even repaired before the baby's born or needed immediate attention once the baby was born, we would like to know that. So... So we made, I called the doctor, and it's the specialist doctor in South Africa that actually is, he's in Durban, and he's like world-renowned. And, of course, we couldn't get an appointment right away, so we had to wait some weeks before we could go. And it had to be a certain point in the pregnancy. So during this time, Greg's reaction and my reaction were quite opposite to this new trial. While we were in agreement about having the scan done, he was calm and assured that we would find nothing wrong, that the baby would be fine. And I, on the other hand, started overreacting a bit and started researching these different things that could go wrong and what could happen. And I joined groups and got newsletters from parents who had children with those problems and just 
caused myself a whole lot of extra stress because I was overreacting to the trial. Now, the trial was that we had to have the scan because the possibility there could be issues. But, so that was the face value. But I took it farther and overreacted. So we need to take trials at the face value. Take it for what it is. Stop with the scenario playing in our heads and just focus on what is happening today. So we had the scan done, and the doctor said it would probably be the most intense scan that our son had ever had. He measured everything in his little body, and we found out it was a boy because that was clear on the scan. And the doctor found nothing wrong with him. And I was glad for the peace of mind, and I learned a lesson regarding overreacting and the folly of that. So don't, don't panic. Don't overreact. Don't turn a problem into a crisis. A crisis is defined as intense danger or difficulty. Every problem does not have to be a crisis. We do not have, a, we do not have to have a crisis of faith every time something goes wrong in our life. Many people overthink situations and convince themselves that any problem is a crisis in their life. But that's, this isn't the truth. What we need to do is take the issue to God. Send some prayer requests to people that you know pray and you trust because prayer really works. Later on, James says that the, the prayer of a righteous man avails much. And this is so true. And it's great to have those friends that you know pray and that you can send. When you're facing a trial, you can send them a message and you know they're going to lift you up. And then relax and wait and see what will happen. Rest and see God work things out when you rest in him. You know, I, I think about the looting and the rioting that's, that happened recently, that all of us went through that trial, you know, on top of coronavirus and everything else that's going on. Then we had that little time that just was bonkers in South Africa. But during that time, it was easy to turn a problem into a crisis. And now there, it, some bad things happen, you know, we live very close to um, Port Edward Town. We're, our little road is a cut through to the town from the main road. So, um, so during that time, and Port Edward was looted, there was, there was burning tires, there was lots of rioting, and then the shops all in the area near the, the robots were looted. So we heard it Monday and Tuesday. And we saw looters running up and down our road with stuff and, um, and goods. But, and it was easy to think, oh, gosh, this is a crisis. And actually, I, I did. I was, okay, I'm, I, was, I was very intentional thinking, okay, God, I'm not going to panic, but I am going to know where my important documents are in case I need to grab them and drive away quickly. You know, I... I am going to think, where could we go if we do have to leave? You know, we are going to, we're going to be calm, but we're, we're not going to turn this problem into a crisis. And 
that's something that takes being able to think in the moment, being able to realize, okay, God is going to be with me through it all. And that's how we, that's how we can keep a problem from being a crisis in our life. We can trust that God is with us, that God is going to work some things out. And, you know, I see South Africa is, is coming back um, during that time. I even saw this on the news. A guy was talking about um, it started out the first night. This is in Durban. He and his neighborhood watch got together, and the first night everybody was like, not, you know, they were all different. They were black and white and Indians and, and all in their little neighborhood. And he said, we were all skeptical of each other, and we didn't know who to trust. And, you know, and then he said the next night... Something happened, and we all jump into each other's buckies and race over there, and we're all in one accord. And this is a guy talking on the news about this, saying, you know, I really feel like this brought unity, and I didn't even know my neighbors before this. So always remember that in a problem, any trial, God, what the devil intends for, for evil, God can turn around and use it for good, like that Romans 8.28 verse. So don't turn a problem into a crisis. Don't, don't overreact and don't panic. The third point in today that I wanted to talk about is this part about cultivating patience. Now, James says in verse 2, Count it all joy when you face, fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This patience word, patience, is also translated in another version as perseverance. Keep going. Cultivate patience. Don't give up. A great quote I read from N.T. Wright, who is a modern Bible scholar, He wrote about this passage. He says, be patient. This is one of the great themes of this letter. And says James, you should let patience have its complete effect. Let it work right through your system. Imagine your life like a house. Faith is what happens when you look out the window at God. Away from yourself to the God who is so much greater than you. Patience is what happens inside the house. So as we are facing a trial, when we are looking to God and having faith in God, patience is what is working on the inside of us. Patience or perseverance. So we must establish our hearts. We can, this is actually a prayer that we can pray. We can say, God, establish my heart. Um, James chapter 5, verse 7 and 8 says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your heart that you trust in God. God uses our trials to reveal his character to us. Um, this, this, these verses that we have been reading and praying 
through coronavirus, Psalms 91. You know, the first two verses of that section talks about God, and it uses four different names of God. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So this verse is saying, as you draw near to God, you are becoming more intimately connected to the character of God. Because God's character is revealed by the names of God. And so this verse speaks of four different names. It speaks of, let me put my glasses on here. This verse speaks of um, four names of God. Elyon, which means most high. Shaddai, which means almighty. Yahweh, which means Lord. And Elohim, which means sublime God. When we face a trial and we have to take refuge in God, we draw close to him. And he reveals more of his character to us. The other way that we can cultivate patience is don't be double-minded. The last part of this text talks, talks about, James says, that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And then verse 6 he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So this portion of scripture might be confusing because it can lead well-meaning people to believe that if we are not to doubt that our trial will turn out exactly the way we think it will. And so when it doesn't turn out right, we think, did we ask God correctly? But I believe what James is really trying to say is that we are never to doubt that God wants the best for us. What seems right to us at a time may not be what is right for all of eternity. We only see a portion of life. God sees it all. And to not be double-minded is to completely trust God, to ask in faith, believing that whether the trial passes the way you desire or it's harder than you expected, God will be with you every step of the way. He's not a stingy father God, but a father who loves to bless his children. He wants the best for us. And Jesus even illustrates this for us. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 39, Jesus said, well, then Jesus came with them to the place of Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Then he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, Oh God, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I want, but as you will. Now we know that Jesus went on to endure the trial of the cross. God did not answer his prayer to let that cup pass because it would not have been the best thing. 
But Jesus prayed in the way he asked God what he wanted, but he said, God, not my will, but your will. And this has to be the way that we ask God and that we pray in the midst of trials. God, I believe you can heal me. I believe that you can do this, but God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. Whatever it is that you need from God, trust that he knows what you need more than what we even even know what we need, just as he knew what Jesus must do. So then Jesus endured the cross. He took on himself the sins of the world. And because of that, he tore the veil that separates us from a perfect God. And Jesus made a bridge for us to come close to God. No longer does God require animal sacrifices to dwell with his people because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. And his suffering and enduring that trial resulted in eternal life for us. But not just a heavenward life. It enables us to have the spirit of the living God living in us now. So when we surrender our hearts to God and we accept what Jesus did for us, we can receive the Holy Spirit that connects us to Father God. I don't know where you are with the trial in your life, but today I just want to say that, that God sees you and God knows and God is with you. And if you have, if you've never made that step to say, Jesus, I want you in my life, then today is the day that you can say it. You can, all it takes is a prayer that you pray and believe that you are, you are giving your heart to God. So let's just pray. If you would, if you, if you're watching at home, just pray with me now. If you would like to invite Jesus into your heart. Say, Father God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he endured the cross. I thank you that I can now have a life and friendship with you. I admit that I can't do things on my own and that I need you in my life. Come and fill my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, I choose to follow you every day of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.